Today's guest is Macaulay Williams of Morningside Brands. What we have here today is actually someone who was in mergers and acquisitions, who went to law school instead of business school, and found their way into acquiring a company of one of their clients, a distillery. From there, being a co-owner and partner of the distillery, wanting more as an entrepreneur, decided to found Morningside Brands and launch with Alma de Jaguar, a tequila that you've got to taste if you haven't done so yet. I was fortunate enough to have a couple of those actually on the episode towards the end. And uh, I got to tell you, it really is as good as he's claiming. Uh, The team really took care to be everything that isn't mass production and sustainability and having no additives and all the things that people today truly care about in terms of products. So if you're interested in not only learning about what this industry looks like in terms of operation, because Macaulay was kind enough to go through what that looks like, just a day in the life of a picture in a picture, if you will. Uh, we also cover the mission behind it, why it's called Alma de Jaguar and how there's in a wildlife conservation element to this, but also a sustainability practice to this and also 100% recycled materials and all within 80 miles of a place where this is made to begin with in Jalisco. This is truly an episode that you're going to have not only a lot of excitement for, but respect for. And now without further ado, Macaulay Williams. Macaulay, I, I'm so excited, man. I, this is a rare opportunity I get to have to explore tequila. I mean, you combine podcasting and tequila, those are like my favorite things. You know, uh, I don't drink often, but when I do, it's usually tequila. It seems to go down smoother. But uh, I'm really excited to have you here. And I mean that in the realest sense. I actually took a lot of time to learn some things. And uh, first of all, hopefully you're having a good day and things are going smooth in the operations out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Tequila is always fun to talk about and something about, uh, you know, a spirit that that helps uh, ease the flow of conversation, right? You know, talking at a party or with family, uh, they go hand in hand. So why not on a podcast? No, and I, and I appreciate um, uh, you were able to send me some samples here. I've got uh, uh, my, my blurring background here, but we've got Rosado right there, right? And uh, uh, let's see here, the Blanco, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and as soon as I saw these, I was like, all right, it's time for business because nobody just sends you some good stuff and you know you don't do some extra effort and homework i always take the time to learn and read about people but this made me inspired to look into an industry and i discovered exactly why it's an industry but uh, something we touched on before we even got started it's crowded right it is it's it's, it's tough to get into the biz it's like trying to become a rock star you know you're looking for that record deal uh tennessee knows that really well you know so what was sure. it like for you stepping into this? Because if I understand correctly, you have a background, you know, just in general having a distillery, right? Yeah. So I'm actually an attorney, uh, a corporate attorney by training. Um, I was a mergers and acquisitions and securities attorney at a large law firm here in Tennessee, the biggest firm here in the Southeast. Um, and I got into the distilled spirits industry. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Didn't know what sort of degrees you needed to be an entrepreneur. Um, Missed the boat on business school, but ended up going to law school and figured, well, that if I go into corporate law, that could be a really good background, you know, general just business understanding background prior to becoming an entrepreneur. I had no idea kind of what industry I wanted to go into, but knew that I wanted to 
learn corporate law and somehow segue into entrepreneurship. Um, and an opportunity presented itself where I actually bought one of my clients, which was a failed vodka distillery here in town. Um, and working on the liquidation of that for the client, I just kind of fell in love with the craft spirits industry. And then just on my own time, bought some books on craft distilling and the craft uh, bourbon boom at the time. And then just kind of fell in love and then came up with the business model. I was like, well, no one wants to buy this business for whatever reason as a going concern, but I might. And I, can, I came up with a new business plan to convert the vodka distillery into a whiskey distillery. Uh, and then we, we scaled that pretty successfully. And that, that brand behind that distillery is called Blue Note Bourbon. Um, I left that company, uh, which is all Memphis Blues themed. It's a really cool brand. Check it out. Uh, I left that company about two years ago to found my new company, Morningside Brands. Uh, I'm building a portfolio of premium spirits uh, under my new company's uh, kind of umbrella portfolio company. And right now, our only brand and first brand was is Alma del Jaguar or Alma del Jaguar Tequila. Um, and so, our first premium brand under my new company is Tequila. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. It's a great industry. A lot of people don't realize um, how much the spirits industry has boomed in the last twenty years. Meaning hard liquor gaining market share over wine and beer, and then within that hard liquor or spirits category. Uh, how much tequila has grown. So in the last 20 years, the big stories have been the bourbon boom and the tequila boom. Um, and it's a really exciting time to be to be in this space. And as of 2023, as of this year, for the first time ever, tequila is America's most popular spirit. Meaning people in the US are spending more money on tequila than they are on whiskey or on vodka or gin or rum or any of it, which is a big deal. Because if you look back at America's genesis, the United States of America's genesis, uh, whiskey was always the most popular from Genesis up until 1968. In 1968, vodka dethroned whiskey to become America's most popular spirit. And it's held the roost there, that number one position since 1968 until this year when tequila out of nowhere, the dark horse has just grown and grown and grown and is now number one. Uh, And it's just an incredible time and there's a lot that goes into it, but I'll stop my rant to let you ask some more no, questions. Oh man, this is great. In. This is great. I actually, when you started talking about how you fell in love with it, I myself hadn't really ever taken uh, a glance beyond knowing what to order at a bar. But when you sent me, you know, some samples, uh, the full bottles, I should say samples, and I started looking into the industry as a whole, I said, wait a minute, <laughs> there's a lot going on here. And learning every step of the way, all the resources that are available and and the history behind it, the processing, I started realizing this is a science like, like no other, you know, and it's a craft and it's, it's an art. It's a, it's a community. I can see why you fell in love because I myself am just now learning this. And I was like, well, am I going to become a, a a spirits influencer? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I was so up for it. (laughs) It's a really cool space for a number of reasons. So just spirits as a whole, and then we'll delve into tequila. So craft spirits is really cool because one, uh, you know, let's knock out these ones. It's alcohol. Uh, It's a drug. Alcohol gives you a high. It's fun. It's associated with parties. It's generally a, a sexy space for investment. Hence all the celebrities getting into the categories. Uh, which we can kind of come back to in a second. But it's also really fun because there is this amazingly rich history, whether it's 
bourbon, whether it's tequila, gin, vodka, they all have a really long lineage from somewhere. Uh, whiskey started in Ireland and Scotland and U.S. and bourbons only in the U.S. And the story of bourbons, really the story of the United States. Very interesting history on just American history. Tequila, of course, has to be made in Mexico. It has its own really unique story, uh, which is intertwined, helix-bound with Mexican culture. Uh, and even gin and vodka have really cool uh, genesis stories of their own. So there's this history component. You have the kind of the, the sex appeal, the cool factor, the uh, the rich history. And then on top of that, it's a really compelling just industry to be in with growth and, uh, you know, high multiples on exit valuations. So there's a lot of like economic and financial reasons that make it cool. There's a lot of money to be made. It's a big industry. Uh, and then on top of all of that, um, the branding component, um, really the alcohol industry invented what we think of as brands. Um, some historians argue that the term brand name goes back to the concept of literally branding with an iron, a barrel uh, to put on the where it came from. And that's where the concept brand started from. And if you look through the legal history of intellectual property law here in the United States, uh, trademarking names, patenting formulas, copywriting, various other works that go along with all of that and branding, uh, a lot of the early case law was alcohol brands. Um, uh, establishing through case law um, the fundamentals of what is now uh, our intellectual property law system in the United States. Um, and so from that was born the, the advertising boom, like a lot of the great, you know, you think of the greatest advertising period um, in American history. And a lot of people kind of think Madman, 1950s, 1960s, that was like the boom of copywriting and, and print ads was kind of at, it, at its best then. It's a great time for that. And alcohol dominated that, that time. And so for all these reasons, from the sex appeal, the fun of alcohol, the, uh, the history component, just the, the excitement around the financials, and then later on top of that, just with all the branding uh, components to it, like it makes it a really fun space to be in, uh, that there's kind of infinitely uh, different things to, to think about, to go through that we're all, I'm always, you're always, I'm always very stimulated and engaged, whether, no matter which, which version of that I'm focused on that day. I, I truly found myself in my, in my own uh, short time researching feeling the exact same way. There's something stimulating about every page you turn on the industry as a whole. And you add a few more things in this modern day with uh, the consumer now being millennials mostly, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. that changes because their consumer behavior is all about, you know, is it gluten-free? Is it, you know, is it uh, sugar-free? Is it, you know, additives we're talking about? I, I didn't know that some yep. things were made with glycerin, for example. I'm like, why is that in my drink? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And as a millennial, yeah. I'm like, hey, I do want additive-free. I didn't know we had to ask for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's for that sure. has to be like different because uh, you're coming into the space. I'm sure, especially coming from M&A, you're looking at, you know, financials. What's the best way? What market am I targeting? This and that. Was that fascinating to like come into that or you yourself just being a consumer are also all about additive free sort of products? Yeah. So there's kind of two things to unpack there, the consumer trend and then just financials. So um, the alcohol industry has been around for forever, right? And it's very crowded space with a lot of big conglomerates controlling the industry. Most people don't realize that most of the big brands you've ever heard of are all owned by about seven or eight different companies. So meaning like um, 
Brown Foreman, for example, owns Jack Daniels and Woodford Reserve and Old Forester, Finlandia, Hira wow. El Himador. You have Diageo, oh. which is a big com- big company. Diageo owns Casamigos, Don Julio, Bullet Bourbon, Crown Royal, uh, Smirnoff Vodka. The list goes on and on. Uh, so these big portfolio companies that are public companies, global conglomerates. Um, so how do we break in as a smaller brand? Uh, people go the celebrity route by getting a celebrity like Clooney to endorse a new brand or, um, or The Rock. You know, the list goes on and on in that category. Or you focus on actual product quality and consumer trend. And so the, the growth in consumer products is all about authenticity, integrity, and quality, whether that's clothing or food or spirit. So if you look at the food industry, think about the, the revolution we've had in the last 15 to 20 years of farm to table, the higher quality cuisine, people caring more about where the products came from that they're putting in their body, and then the quality of it. Same thing's happening in beverage. People want transparency and authenticity and quality. And so the millennial consumer is very focused on those things of authenticity and quality. And so that's, that's great for an emerging brand in this category to focus on those things because that's right to the demand of what the consumer wants. And as a millennial myself, that just also is the type of thing that interests me. So, I mean, we, we've built our brand, Alma Del Jaguar, focusing on quality, transparency, and integrity. And speaking to a tequila-specific issue is additive-free. So most people don't realize that um, most tequilas out there, we estimate 95% of the tequilas on the shelf have chemical additives or manipulants in them. And so not every distillery is a beautiful craft boutique operation. The most brands are produced that really highly industrialized distilleries that, you know, for lack of a better description, look like a mega factory, an industrialized mega plant. Nothing sexy or romantic about it at all. It is all business designed to produce the product at the lowest possible cost with the best ergonomics and efficiencies. Um, but as you can imagine, like food or clothes produced at highly industrialized plants, not necessarily uh, the best quality comes out of those places. So you look for smaller operations. But these big guys, they produce this product, highly industrialized, in a way to cover up flaws or corners they cut effectively in the production is they add in chemical manipulants to try to make the product palatable. And we call those additives in tequila. And so what are those things that they're putting in there? Well, um, they destroy a lot of the mouthfeel, the roundness and thickness and creaminess during a lot of these processes through various filtrations and mechanisms to stretch out every last drop. And so they add a chemical called glycerin into a lot of these big brands. Uh, glycerin is not the same thing as hydroglycerin, but glycerin is often found in soap products. And by adding glycerin into alcohol, it one helps cover up the burn, both in smell and taste, and also adds a rounder, thicker mouthfeel. And then to create flavor, they add chemical sweeteners like aspartame uh, into it to make it sweeter or artificial manipulants like vanilla flavoring, you know, not to call on any one brand, but Casamigos (laughs) puts a lot of vanilla flavoring in their product. Other brands use caramel flavorings or oak extract flavorings. And these are, you know, I don't know what's happening in their labs, but a lot of these chemicals, not speaking of one brand, but a lot of these chemicals are lab created. They're not like natural occurring ingredients. And the problem is that these these are being added into 100% agave tequilas. So most people think, as they should, if it says 100% agave on the label, that means it's 100% agave in the bottle. Not the case. What that statement actually means is that the ethanol or the alcohol 
was derived from fermenting 100% agave sugars. But it doesn't mean and under the law, they're allowed to add up to one to 4% of these chemical manipulants into the final product after distillation. And they don't have to disclose it on the label. And so wow. with our country right now, consumer demand for authenticity and integrity, um, the, the kind of the movement around the additive free thing is like, hey, it's bullshit that you're putting this stuff in it and not having to disclose it on the label. Meaning the consumer should be able to know what they're buying and putting in their body. And that's kind of where a lot of my passion comes from. It, I think chemical additives and manipulants are, I guess, okay in certain situations. I can see how maybe a big you know, casino or something or Mexican restaurant might want a cheap tequila for their margaritas and to get their cost down, that has to be produced that way. I can see that, but it should say it on the label, yeah. right? There shouldn't be like the hoodwinking and tricking. That's, I think, where people get frustrated. They feel like they're being tricked. Um, and so from that has been, uh, this counter movement has been born out of that of people frustrated like myself called the Additive Free Movement and the Additive Free Alliance. And there's a group of manufacturers and brand influencers and advocates that are promoting additive-free brands that don't have any chemicals in them. And we can prove it in our, we go through independent audit of uh, lab analysis to prove that there's no other things in there. And that's really where there's, there's this whole amazing grassroots movement and surging demand for additive-free, authentic products that are like ours, just made from agave, water, and yeast. You know, the three core ingredients it takes to make tequila. And that's it. And uh, people are willing to pay more for that and respect that. And then um, we have been able to build our brand kind of based off of that integrity principle. We have a whole other sustainability component that I can come back to in a little bit. But yeah, so that's, it's, it's, really, it's really exciting. You know, I'm passionate about it. Yeah, no. And, and you know, what's cool is, you know, if you look at what that what that is, it's so it's not just a hundred percent; it's like a hundred and four percent, right? And they don't have to say the four percent, and that's fine print. And so, what you've done with your brands is you've removed the fine print, right? And you know how to write a good contract, right? I mean, that's sort of yeah. in the work that you do. So it's really cool to see you just strike a good deal with the people and say, "Look, here's what we've got," and I know because. I love this kind of stuff myself. So there's there's no higher calling than someone doing exactly what they love doing and bringing in all the other skills they built along the way to create a product that really competes and blows the other out of the water. Uh, because you're right, as time moves forward, a lot of these people who run companies who are okay with a C minus product, and I don't say C plus because that's too rich, right? It's a C minus is better, right? <laughs> let's, let's make sure the profits are there. Uh, plus is too expensive. And it's just, it's time. I Can you imagine? Like, I don't understand why we do live in, uh, in, a, in a society that allows these kinds of things uh, to creep into what we put into our bodies. That's a whole podcast in itself, right? Of just like- Lobbying and money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> that in itself is a whole conversation waiting to happen. Uh, but then you did something even cooler. And, and you mentioned you were talking about sustainability, right? Um, what does that mean in the context of, uh, agave plants and and the production of tequila because sustainability can mean all kinds of things you know and then you have the wildlife conservation aspect that is the spirit of the spirit if you will right yeah 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 exactly so um you know if we're talking about industrial mega plants you can probably imagine they have a harmful impact on the environment there's been a big push in mexico to regulate distilleries in terms of their emissions and wastewater uh, emissions um so um and, and, and if you imagine a massive operation, you, and the agave plant has to grow and it's farmed. And so if it's a big uh, farming operation, you're, you're gonna, there's a lot of chemicals that can be used in the fields. 
Uh, during distillation, there's a lot of wastewater. Uh, the methanols and the bad alcohols that get stripped out during distillation that don't make it into the final product have to be contained and something has to be done with them. And people have been known just to dump it out in the field or dump it into the creek or river. Not good for the environment. Um, and then there's a lot of waste within the packaging, glass, labels, plastic, cardboard, stuff that, you know, in the, in the finished product that gets shipped. Um, and so the genesis of our brand was I was doing that whiskey thing. I had partners. I really wanted to kind of go out on my own. I'm still an owner in that brand, really wanted to do my own thing. And my uncle, my dad's brother, who's from here in Tennessee as well, was a wildlife uh, photographer and conservationist. And 30 years ago, he moved to Mexico uh, on a trip to study wild jaguars there and kind of never came back, moved there full time and started uh, with a group of biologists and conservationists, an organization called the Northern Jaguar Project. And under the Northern Jaguar Project, they created the Northern Jaguar Reserve, which is the largest privately managed wildlife refuge in all of Mexico and the home of the northernmost breeding ground of wild jaguars. So jaguars are the third biggest cat in the world, tiger, lion, jaguar. Jaguars only live in the Americas. So they're often confused with leopards. Leopards are in Africa and Asia because they look similar. Jaguars are about twice as big as a leopard though. And they only live in the Americas. And today they range from Arizona in the United States all the way to Argentina. They're the apex predator of the Americas. And, um, they're actually native to our country. They're native to the U.S. Jaguars are native to California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And were there when early U.S. settlers moved in you know, the westward expansion. And due to deforestation, hunting, poaching, ranching, all these reasons, uh, we thought that they were extinct until uh, the late 90s when some people started discovering there were still wild jaguars in southern Arizona and New Mexico. And they were all breeding about 100 miles south of the border at this property that my uncle and his team acquired and turned into a reserve to protect this northernmost population of wild jaguars. And a lot of cool stories in that in and of itself, but he's been doing that my whole life. Always thought it was so cool for so many reasons. And for my next brand, I wanted to do something bigger than just seek profits, focus on, uh, you know, championing a cause and doing something bigger that I could really be proud and build a legacy on and thought, well, why don't I tie it in with what my uncle has been doing in wild jaguar conservation? And if his group is a binational effort to protect jaguars from Americans and Mexicans, um, tequila is really a binational effort. I mean, most tequila is made in Mexico. It's all made in Mexico, actually. But most tequila is consumed in the United States. But it's this binational symbiotic relationship of the Mexican producer, the U.S. consumer. And so I was like, well, I really like tequila anyways, and I've been exploring getting into that category for like financial reasons. It's a hot category. Um, why not do a concert, Jaguar conservation themed tequila brand? And then in doing so, we could then take the topic of environmental conservation and hopefully remove a big political element from it and also remove a little bit of academia and stuffiness of it and make it to, more approachable for everyday people to talk about and then as we address at the very beginning of the conversation, alcohol is a great elixir or conduit for conversation in general, meaning people, when they drink, they talk, they're hanging out with friends and family. And so the idea of creating this brand is we can take what is otherwise a fairly politicized academic conversation of borderland conservation, which brings up things like the border wall, immigration, Mexico-U.S. relations, NAFTA, all this stuff, 
And then environmental conservation, which has political elements, global warming, you know, is viewed differently in different political parties, as well as um, just environmental conservation has a big academic component. You know, a lot of people like don't want to talk about that topic because it's a hot, it's a hot topic. But if, but actually a lot of, I found people on both sides of the aisle care about environmental conservation. They care about protecting big cats. Um, they don't really have the right outlets to talk about it. And they're unaware of a lot of the actual issues around it. And so there's tequila then brings that issue right into their home or right into their cocktail party and forces people to address it in a more, much more chill way. Um, and we can raise a lot of awareness for it because our biggest issue is that most people have no idea the difference between jaguars and leopards, much less the fact that they're native to the U.S. and Mexico. And so this raises a lot of awareness for my uncle's organization and other organizations. And then on top of that, we donate 10% of our profits from the sale of, of our tequila to support jaguar conservation. Um, and then to do that, to, if we're going to have this really cool kind of higher purpose calling, we, ha- we can't just t- talk the talk, we got to walk the walk, meaning we got to make the best possible product we can because only through the highest quality product can we get the most sales and get the most people talking about it because we got to amaze them by our quality. But then we have to go a step further and do so sustainably. We can't rob Peter to pay Paul. We can't give proceeds to support the environment in one place and destroy the environment in another. So I went down to Jalisco on a number of trips and toured about 25 different distilleries and found one a really amazing family owned distillery and ranch where they practice all these sustainable processes and procedures and grow all the agave right there on their own ranch. And uh, we struck a deal for them to be our partners in this brand. And effectively, the arrangement's simple. They've been making tequila for five generations, growing agave for five generations. They keep doing what they do best. We designed our own unique recipes for our brand, but they produce it. And then I import, sell and distribute it and brand it and build all the marketing behind it. And keeping in line with that symbiotic theme of the U.S. and Mexico working together, um, which is important uh, and only becoming more and more important as we have more Hispanic Americans, Mexican Americans in our community. Um, It's just a really relevant time for all these issues. And a lot of people like to isolate certain things and like the tequila boom and try to separate it from everything that's happening. But it's all interlinked of the consumer trends for higher quality products, the demand for authenticity. Uh, more uh, Hispanic influence on our country. Uh, just all of these things together have led to the tequila surge in demand. And we really want to be the best possible example of a way to do it the right way, which in my mind is um, having a higher purpose other than just profits. Really inspired. I'm wearing a Patagonia vest now um, by companies <laughs> like Patagonia. I'm yeah, a capitalist man. through and through, man. Um, but I do believe that pa- Patagonia and companies like them, Tom's Shoes, have shown that you can have a mission, capitalist yeah. for-profit company that also has a higher purpose mission. And through that capitalist approach, I fundamentally believe that we have a higher chance of succeeding on our conservation mission than, than a nonprofit would. Yeah, um, Because we're business-minded and focused like that. And I think that's the new wave of capitalism and the new wave of entrepreneurship is doing things that also have a higher call on your purpose. It doesn't always have to be about the environment. It can be humanitarian or, or whatever. Um, but having a bigger mission than just trying to make a buck. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here. And I could ramble on about it all day, but oh, I'll, yeah. I'll stop Double, triple, bottom line is definitely the new wave. 
And I mean, for me, this is news because now I'm thinking there's nothing more American than a Jaguar. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. an interesting symbol. And I, you taught me a lot today about how to view the relationship as well. And there's a couple of things percolating in this digital marketing mind of mine. Oh yeah. Uh, that, I'll, that I'll talk to you about after the after the recording here. But that's um, cool. truly, you know, your stuff. Uh, your heart is in the right place for why you're doing this. And it's not the first time that I've spoken to someone about uh, why they chose, with that mission in mind, why they chose to go for profit, right? And you're 100% right. There are things that you can only do if you have enough capital to make it possible. And nonprofits generally are chasing capital everywhere they can and rarely getting it and barely meeting bottom lines. And most people, even if they volunteered 100%, the operation itself still needs capital. So what are you going to do with a situation like that, right? So knowing that you've chosen this model and your background in particular, and the research that you've clearly done to understand exactly why the nucleus of your mission and your driving force, the motivation, if you will, for why this product exists at all is epic. It's, there's nothing more entrepreneurial than that. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, that's what this show likes to focus on a lot. And it, it's, it just so happens that it also tastes great, right? Uh, brings people together. It's kind of hard to not like where this conversation is going. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of things that just lined up really well. Uh, what's it been like ever since you you actually, because, you know, the distribution process and getting it into, and you can talk about all of that forever, right? But I imagine you finally get in stores, I imagine. Is that is that something you've reached? Yeah. Yeah. We're distributing across 11 states now and growing. Wow. Um, but it's a, it's a journey. And kind yeah. of going back to an earlier point is um, typically a for-profit company. I tend to think they... There's always outliers, but typically operate better than nonprofits because of the incentive behind it. I mean, you know, nonprofits often run by a board of disinterested folks who are only on the board, not because they're getting paid, but because they care. And that only goes so far. And then there's a staff that runs it. And nonprofits are great. Don't get me wrong. But a for-profit company comes with real incentive and real risk in the sense that it's, I didn't just get a big donation. I had to raise capital and put in all of my own money. And to start this company, I put in literally every cent that I had to my name after I left my bourbon company. I have a, a kid and a pregnant wife. I put in every dollar to my name, didn't take a single cent in salary for over a year and had real you know, risk on the line and real incentive to succeed. So like failure was literally not an option unless I wanted to like go bankrupt and try to move my family in with my parents or my in-laws or something. So it's like success was the only option. And so we have real incentive. Uh, I have real incentive to make this successful. But there's a whole lot that goes into making um, a tequila. So I'll, I'll use a quick analogy to talk about the... Suffice it to say that the production process is every bit of a science and art, just like winemaking. Where the agave is grown, how it's grown, the rainfall, altitude, all of the environmental exposures is going to fundamentally change the way the finished product tastes just like in wine. And it's a real art for converting that crop, the agave, into a finished distillate tequila and how it's processed, the yeast strain that's used, how it's cooked, milled, distilled, the type of stills, all of that's going to impact the flavor. There's a ton of complexity there. We could spend multiple podcasts talking about this tequila distilling. But then maybe what your audience will like more is like the business side. All right, you got, after you've done all this homework and designed this amazing product, how the hell do you bring it to market? And it's fairly complicated. 
we have to source glass stopper seals, labels, boxes to put that tequila in. And I chose to use 100% recycled materials for mine. So I had to find, and I wanted only local Mexican manufacturing. So all of our product, every single component is produced within an 80 mile radius. So the glass stopper, label seals, box, agave, tequila, all produced right there. And then we use recycle, 100% recycled glass. Our labels are made from leftover agave fiber. These repurposed corks that have been ground up to create new corks, biodegradable seals, and it ships in 100% recycled cardboard shipper box, all made right there. So finding that was quite a puzzle. You don't have to go that far. We're the only brand that I know of that's ever done 100% recycled packaging. But you have to source from all these manufacturers, all those components, get it bottled, get it on a pallet, and then import it to the U.S. and negotiate freight, importing, pay taxes uh, to import it. Then you have to lease warehouse space in the U.S. to store it. And then you have to go out, to your point, and uh, get distribution partners and retail partners across the country to sell it to wherever it gets on the shelf or on the bar. And in the U.S., we have a three-tier distribution system in alcohol. There's brand owners like me, distributors that distribute it, and retailers. And there's legally, you can't own an interest in but one of those categories. So in every state, there's a different distributor that I have to negotiate the distribution with. Uh, and there's different state taxes and different licenses I have to get to distribute it in each state. In addition to business licenses in each state and tax funds, I have to get an alcohol license. The label has to be approved in every state. And then there's different pricing structures. There's different every there's different margins that retailers mark that work off of in every state. So each state's like its own little country and different business model. And so we have to go around state by state, negotiate with the partner, get all the licenses you're up, and then actually then sell it and hire a sales team and marketing team to go convince people to buy it. There's just a whole lot that goes into the back office of doing doing a brand the right way. I do all of that internally with my team here. There are some groups that you can outsource a lot of that to, but they're really expensive and you give up a lot of control. I'm not about that. I like doing it. The, if you do it the hard way, it's going to pay off the, the most in the end. And so there's just a lot that goes into that. And um, there's just a lot of good old kind of financial acumen that goes into how you price it, how you negotiate everybody's margin, deal incentives you put in place. Meaning um, in most states, it's legal to do incentives to say, hey, uh, you know, um, fill up wine and spirits. If you buy one case, my product's 100. If you buy five cases, it's 90. But we got a really special deal. If you buy 10 cases at a time, you can get it for the high price of $80. You know, I'm just using makeup math there. Yeah. But that way, that way, then you buy the 10 case deal and we get a display in the store, which is going to increase visibility to the products. There's a lot of thought process around that. But then on top of it, there's like actual branding. You got to come up with a brand design. You got to trademark that brand name. You then have to do website, social media, and build a campaign around it. Um, that's the fun stuff, you know, honestly. Um, but like you could, you could hear how like quickly as an operator in the space, you're using literally every part of your brain. No two days are ever going to be the same. It's just fun. Um, and the most rewarding thing about building a brand versus just selling a, uh, you know, trading a commodity or something is like the brand ends up becoming bigger than me, bigger than my team and takes on a life of its own. Cause there's some really interesting psychological relationship with the consumer and the brands they choose to buy and adopt. Because ultimately people buy brands because of their, what that means to them and how they'll be perceived by their peers and family. 
there's this whole interesting psychological study of that. But but the cool thing from the brand creator is that ultimately it takes on a life of its own that becomes bigger than you or the team. And the way people interact with that product might be different than how you intended. And it's just pretty cool because you're effectively creating a baby that goes out into the world and grows up on its own. And like you can, I feel really like proud to see that. There's nothing cooler than seeing someone interact with your product that you created and they don't even know you, you know, or they know that you're the founder of it or whatever. That's a really rewarding uh, time. It's kind of like a, when a, an actor that, uh, that just finished a film goes into the theater and no one knows that they're watching with them just to be able to exactly. watch. Yeah, yeah, no. And it's you know, cool. It's, it's so cool, first of all, because your background just, I hate to use the word destined, but it's just, it's, it's awesome that you knew you wanted to go do one thing, but you were like, ah, I guess I missed the mark on business school. I'm going to go into law school. And just how that prepared you to be able to then take the harder path. Cause you could have probably found a way to license from someone. And it, this whole process could have been a lot easier, but that's just not who you are. Sure. You know, it's yeah. not who you are at all. And the amount of work that you've gone into, and thank you for breaking that down. You know what I mean? Uh, anyone listening to this is going to be like, wow just sheer appreciation for the amount of work that's being put into things, right? And every step of the way, you just chose quality and integrity over anything. And that in itself is clearly the DNA of the leadership, of the team culture that's going, and of the partnerships, right? That's going into the creation of this product. So when you look at all of that, just knowing that that's the spirit behind the spirit, it's it's something else, you know? It really is something that you could just sit back as somebody who's talked to well now over 2,000 people about their businesses and what have you, an outlier in the truest sense in terms of just how much, how passionate you are about what it is that you're doing. And whenever I'm going to be drinking the the product that you gave to me here, the uh, Alma de Jaguar, Reposado or the Blanco, I now know everything that went into this and can drink it just a little bit differently. And it honestly, as I'm speaking to you, that's what I'm learning is that it's not just about drinking differently, which is what you do, but also thinking and living differently once you've drank it, knowing what it is it stands for as a message. Exactly. You know, and I just yep. think it's powerful. I, I think it's powerful. And, and I've got to ask, I know there's Añejo out there. Is that is that something you're working yeah. on or do you have that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Añejo's coming out next uh, next summer. Yeah. Yeah. So you can buy aged stocks from other distilleries and blend it. Like that's something a lot of folks do. But as you hit on, it's something that's not in our DNA. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to do it right. So our NEAO is still aging in barrels um, to be to get ready for release. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> it's yeah. really great talking to you, man. Uh, there's a there's a lot going on, and there's a lot that you've been able to accomplish, and you're just getting started. I'm very grateful for you to break that down. So I want to roll out the red carpet for you. What, what do you want the listeners to know or do? What's the call to action? You want them to go to a website? You want them to grab a bottle? Or what stayed uh, closest well, to them? Yeah. Well, first off, I want them to think about spirits and tequila specifically differently and, and take the effort to do a little research and read about you know, what makes an additive-free tequila more compelling than a tequila with additives. So please just Google uh, additive-free tequila list and you'll, a list from Tequila Matchmaker will pop up. Try some of them, you know, and hopefully try ours. Ours is, again, Alma Del Jaguar or Alma Del Jaguar in English. Um, go to our website, almadeljaguar.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Alma Del Jaguar uh, and learn our mission. We're, we're trying to protect big cats, raise awareness for borderland conservation, 
and put out the highest quality product we can at the same time. Look, we've all been to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or name your organic grocery and bought something that sounded really good. It was organic, sustainably produced, and you got home and it tastes like shit. Um, that's happened. We've all had that experience happen. And so our, we had to make sure our tequila actually tastes really good. I promise you, if you buy a bottle of our tequila, it is the highest possible quality. Whether you don't even care about sustainability at all, you will love this product. Uh, we're winning a lot of awards. We got a 97-point score on our Blanco, for example. Um, so it's just a damn good product at the end of the day uh, on its own two feet, just based on the liquid in the glass. is very, very tasty. Man, just a great conversation. Um, uh, with that said, I think uh, before this closes out, I should probably drink one of these in the spirit of everything. Let's do it. On. Let's I, do it. Let's get yeah, Okay. Uh, Blanco, you said won the awards? <laughs> well, we've won awards with both. It just depends. So Blanco's unaged and the Reposado has been rested in barrels. So you're going to get more vanilla caramel flavor in the Repo because of the barrels. You're going to get more agave and pepper and citrus notes in the Blanco. So what both. you're telling me is I have to try both. Let's do that. <laughs> I think you got to try both. So we, if we're going to do both, we want to start with the Blanco because that's the base because that okay. then becomes the Repo. So this product is our partner distillery is the Vivanco family distillery. Um, the Vivancos oh. have been producing agave for five generations. This is made Ooh. all with their estate grown agave. <laughs> smells good, man. Let's do this. Yeah. So the unique thing is, is there's wild yeast and it's bottled entirely unfiltered. Um, so everything about what we do is there's only a handful of tequilas that are bottled entirely unfiltered where you just get the pure raw distillate just as it is. I can taste the and there's Does that make sense? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Let's see. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Right? And it's the middle of the day. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. Friday after all. This, a lot of this flavor, is better than right? coffee. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> It'll wake you up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but there's okay. a lot of flavor going on there. You're going to taste cooked agave. You're going to taste pepper, citrus, yeah. uh, floral notes. There's just a lot. What's cool flavor. is even though there was a burn, it was gentle to me, right? There was a lot of yep. flavor. And even more importantly, there was an aromatic experience before I even went to sip, right? Like just mm -hmm. as soon as I opened it. Um, and overall, I mean, this is definitely something that will get me talking, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Right? Make you inclined to share it with somebody. And yes. then the cool thing is, is so we rec the Blanco goes great in the Margarita, Paloma, Ranch Water um, style drinks. This Repo is going to drink a little bit more like an aged rum or whiskey because we okay. have that barrel influence. So now give, give it a try. So Let me switch um, cups here. <laughs> yeah, switch glasses. So we aged it in a combination of ex-bourbon barrels and ex-wine barrels. It's a combination of both French and American oak. Really? A lot going on in how we produce it, um, trying to create balance. But you're going to see that it just drinks entirely and tastes entirely different. If I blindfolded you, spun you around, and gave you these samples separately, you wouldn't necessarily know they were the same brand because that barrel influence, um, or even the same product, the barrel influence really changed. You're going to get a lot more caramel, a lot more vanilla. Um, do this a is little definitely... bit more there. <laughs> there you go. All right. The color looks awesome. Yep. The color is different. It's got that kind of amber hue to it. That's yeah. all from the, the color just all comes from the barrel extraction. Um, 
Ooh, this smells sweeter too. Like yep. there's a, there's a, let's, let's, let's see, right? <laughs> the face, doesn't, right? my yeah, face doesn't lie. I'm one of those faces. <laughs> it doesn't lie. <laughs> I, I couldn't it. lie if I tried, you know? Ooh, this. So like I told you, when I was doing the research, I was reading about Reposados and it was saying it really could replace a whiskey and many cocktails. I believe that. Yep. This yeah. is a, excuse me, there's a perfect example and just the way it tasted, it was smooth. It was flavorful. I, I didn't even know that I could care about those things until I've had this in-depth conversation with you. I'll tell you this much though. If somebody served this to me, I wouldn't be complaining. You know what I mean? I wouldn't go, ah, <laughs> no you know, what am I drinking? In fact, I'm wondering what else I could mix this with, right? Like what kind of drink oh, can yeah. I make with this? Because I've heard Reposados are the ones that really make good mixers as well. Is that correct? Yeah, you could make a really awesome tequila old-fashioned with that. Um, make a tequila Manhattan, kind of replacing whiskey. Um, it does go well on a margarita as well, but you're going to get a little bit more of that vanilla and caramel flavor that yeah. just naturally comes from the oak. Um, there's all different kinds. I, I personally good. just love it on the rocks with an orange peel. I was going to say. Nice <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that that's clean, man. I've got a fire in my belly, but it's just the right amount of fire, you know? Um, wow, what an experience. Seriously, I can't thank you enough for just bringing your whole heart to this conversation because you didn't have to do that. You know, um, you didn't have to make the time. I speak to a lot of people. Sometimes people are in a rush. Sometimes people are, you know, thinking of what just happened. But like everything else that I've learned about you from this conversation, you really are here when you're here and uh, you take your time to do things quality. It's looked in your product, right? It comes across when we have our conversation. So Macaulay, I can't thank you enough for stopping by, man. It's my pleasure. Well, the pleasure and honor is mine. Thank you for allowing me to come onto your platform because this is how we share our story and message. So um, the way to build a brand, as we say, is uh, one sip, one bottle, one handshake, one conversation at a time. And I got the opportunity to hopefully reach out to multiple people with this conversation. So it's awesome. Cheers is in order here. <laughs> Indeed. Cheers or salute, amigo. Salute. Hey.